Today I want to start off by showing one of my favorite pictures. This picture is from several years back, as you can tell. It's a picture taken uh, one Sunday morning after uh, our morning services here. Danielle actually took the picture on her phone. Uh, it is a picture of Will looking at me as I greeted folks as they were leaving our service. Some of you may remember uh, about that time, Will went through a phase in his life where he wanted to dress like me. And on Sunday mornings, he would get up and he would say, I want to wear a button shirt. I want a button shirt. And he had a little jacket and he had a tie and he had his dress boots, not his farm boots, but he wanted to wear his dress boots. And he wanted to come to church and he wanted to look like his dad. When I look at that picture, my favorite part of it is how he is looking up at me. The truth is, our kids' eyes are on us. Our kids are watching us and they're seeing us. They are looking to us and parents here today, grandparents here today, or somebody that has the influence in the life of a kid, how important it is for us to know that they are watching us. They are looking to us as examples. They are looking to us for answers. But I want to tell you most important, they're looking to us to find Jesus Christ. Our kids are looking to us. But here's something I have noticed as well. First, from my relationship with my father, my dad, and then from the relationship with my kids. Sometimes I have noticed they're not looking to see what we're doing. They're not looking to see what they can copy, but sometimes they're looking at us to see how we are looking at them. Sometimes they're looking to see how we see them, and really they're looking at us to see what we think of them. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Saturday afternoon, I was at a basketball game watching Kale play basketball, and during the course of the game, he breaks away, and he comes dribbling down the court, and he moves down the court, and he comes down there fast, and he goes around the guy and makes a move, and he, he goes in, and he takes his shot, uh, all the stuff that he got from me, <laughs> and he turns around, and he goes, and he starts to run back up court, and as he went back up court, I noticed for just a second, he looked up to see me. Sometimes they look at us to see what we think of them. Well, today in our verses, we're going to look to God to see how God looks at us. And that's an awesome thing. That's going to be a tremendous thing. We're looking today at God's revelation of himself to see how God sees us. And that's what we're going to see today in our verses. We're in Luke chapter 15. Today we're going to continue on. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Luke Chapter 15, today verses 4 through 7. Our message today is entitled, The Great Shepherd. The Great Shepherd. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 15, beginning here in the fourth verse, and Jesus himself is speaking. He says this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're our Savior. I'm thankful today that you're ruling as King. I'm thankful that you're trustworthy. I'm thankful that you're faithful. We come today and we celebrate you, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We come today and I'm thankful for your word. And I pray that today as it's preached, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive your truth. I pray that it would change us. Pray that it might convict us, that it would teach us and train us. Pray for some here that do not know Christ, that in the, the preaching of your word today, they might find our Savior, Jesus. We come today and we thank you for our church. And I pray that your hand would strive with your church, that you would lead it, that you would direct it. Most of all, that you would empower it and it would exist for your glory, for your good, for your cause. We tell you today we love you and we praise you. We thank you and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as we continue here in Luke chapter 15, we're looking at one of three parables here in the 15th chapter. Today, we're looking at the, the first parable that Jesus uses to speak to a situation that he finds himself in. And so, understand today for us to be able to comprehend, for us to be able to understand each of these parables, we have to be reminded of the situation in which Jesus finds himself. And so remember today the context. Remember last week that we saw the Pharisees and the scribes had come to a conclusion. They really had made a distinction that God does not make. Remember they felt like one group of folks, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, that they were too far gone, that they were too sinful, that they were too hopeless to ever receive God's grace. And at the same time, this, this other group, the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought that they themselves were good enough that they didn't need God's grace. And so in response to that, these grumbling Pharisees, in response to that, Jesus speaks these three parables. Let me just tell you how crazy, and really you gotta stop and kind of think about this for just a second, how crazy it is that Jesus is teaching, but he's teaching about himself. How awesome is that? Jesus is teaching, but he's also revealing the, the truth about himself. He's teaching about himself. Now, we need to get that today. We need to understand that. You see, Muhammad may talk about God, but he can't talk as God, and that's what Jesus does. You see, Gandhi may talk about love, but he can't talk as the embodiment of love, and that's what Jesus does. You see, Joseph Smith may talk about the need for salvation, but he can't talk as the Savior who came to provide salvation. And that's what Jesus does. So how great here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching, but he's revealing the truth, teaching about himself. Let's go through the parable. Let's look at the picture. And then we're going to come back and we're going to pull out some truth for us today. Let's look at the parable. The third verse says this. So, in response to that situation, so he told them this parable saying, look at verse four. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after that, the one which is lost until he finds it? 
Here in the fourth verse, Jesus makes it personal. And he really uses, he paints a picture that they can understand. He starts off and he says, what man among you? That is a rhetorical question. Really, it applied to all of them. All of them would have had this response. What man among you, if he had a hundred sheep, and if he has lost one of those sheep, doesn't he leave the 99 together there grazing? It doesn't say he runs off and leaves them in danger. There in the open pasture, there together grazing. Doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one which is lost? Now notice there, Already in the fourth verse, it says that he goes until he finds it. Until he finds it. He leaves those and he goes and he looks until he finds the sheep, the lamb that was lost. He says, which of you wouldn't do that same thing? He's painting a picture. Verse five. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. The Bible says when he has found it, he picks it up and he lays it on his shoulders. Now, our, our translation makes it plural. The Greek actually is plural. It's not just one shoulder. He doesn't just fling it over his shoulder. He puts it across both of his shoulders. And he's going to bring it back to the fold. Now, I think it's interesting here. He doesn't lead it back to the fold. He doesn't try and drive it back to the fold. But once he finds the lost sheep, he carefully picks it up, and he lays it across his shoulders and he himself carries it back to the fold. Now there's a big deal here at the end of the verse. Big thing for us to understand, and that is the word rejoicing. It says he picks up the lamb, he lays it across his shoulders, and he goes home rejoicing. The Greek word here means exuberant celebration. And so understand, and it's important for us to see in the picture he's painting, when he finds the lost sheep, he's not satisfied that he found the sheep. He's not glad that he found the lost sheep. He's not even happy that he found the lost sheep. The Bible says he is exuberant in his celebration that he's found the lost sheep. Look at verse six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now I'll just tell you, I like the picture here in verse six. The shepherd, he gets home, and the Bible says he is exuberant in his rejoicing. He is celebrating the fact that he found his sheep, but notice what he does here. Once he gets home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that is lost. Come now, all of y'all, and rejoice with me. Here's the truth here. Rejoicing is always better with company. You ever figured that out? I think that's why we have parties and that's why we have barbecues. Celebrating, rejoicing is always better with company. And, and the shepherd says, you know what, I'm home and I'm excited and this was my sheep and now it's found. But he says, y'all come and let's celebrate together. What an awesome picture. And then verse seven. Verse seven says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It starts off and it says, I tell you in the same way. Understand, 
Jesus has painted a picture. He's used an illustration. But now here in the seventh verse, he says, I tell you in the same way. He's now turning from the parable and he's applying it to real life. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The word repent means to turn around. One sinner who turns around than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now to understand that seventh verse, we have to really understand again the context. Understand he's talking to some people here that thought, you know what, this, this class of people, these sinners, even this one single sinner, they're outside of God's grace and he wouldn't lift a finger for them. But at the same time, they think, you know what, I am so righteous and we're so pious in our lifestyle that we need not to repent. So Jesus paints the picture to under, for them to understand. Now, he's going to move into another parable to explain this further. But today we're going to stop right here after this parable. We're going to see what God is revealing about himself. We're going to see in this parable, in Jesus' proclamation of it, what is revealed about our God. Three huge things. Three marvelous truths about our God. Now, let me just tell you, this is getting ready to be great. If you've been asleep up till now, it's time to wake up. Three marvelous truths about our God. Not heresy, not somebody told you this, not secondhand, but God himself. Three marvelous truths about our God. First is this, get ready. Our God loves the lost. Our God loves the lost. He loves the lost. In this parable, we see the truth that our God absolutely loves the lost. See this, Jesus himself reveals to us the, the value that God ascribes to the individual sinner. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't say, well, I've got all these over there. I'm not in need of them. He doesn't say, you know what, they've gone so far, they could never come back. He doesn't say, you know what, this sacrifice is much too big for this one lowly sheep, this one lowly sinner. That's not what he says. No, the creator God of the universe, the living God of the universe shows us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He loves sinners. He loves the lost. And whether you're a tax collector, a person that everybody hates, or whether you're a, a sinner, a person that's counted as hopeless in your cause, or whether you're even a Pharisee, pious and self-righteous, God loves sinners. He loves the lost. Our God loves the lost. Second thing we see, this is better than that. Our God saves the sinner. Our God saves the sinner. Now, I want you to follow with me on this. You see, it doesn't really matter if he loves the lost, if he didn't have the power, and he doesn't possess the grace and the mercy to do something about it. Do you understand that? But you understand today, in the person of Jesus Christ himself, God saves the sinner. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we'll get there in about a year. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, listen. For the Son of Man, Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save 
that which is lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. He doesn't just go and seek them out. He doesn't just go looking for them. No, he himself saves them. See the picture. Verse five, it says, and when he has found it, he lays the sheep, he lays that helpless lamb on his shoulders and he brings it home. Now, first off, be sure here, the focus is not on the lostness of the sheep. He doesn't ask why did he get lost. He doesn't ask how did he get lost. Did he, did he run off some way in a rebellion? Was he led astray by some other sheep? Did he just wander off on his own? The, the focus here is not on the lostness of the sheep. The fact is he's lost. That's the fact, he's lost. He is out of the fold. He is out of fellowship with the shepherd and on his own, out there by himself, he is gonna perish and the shepherd goes himself and saves him. That is the picture. What is the reality? John chapter 19, listen. It says this. And so he handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. And there they crucified him. Friends, see here today in the parable, he picks up the lamb. But understand, in reality, as the precious lamb of God, he picks up the cross. Understand, in the parable, he walks with the lamb across his shoulders. But in reality, it is the cross across his shoulders, the cross of suffering for my salvation and yours. In the parable, he heads home and the lamb is saved. But understand, in reality, he has to go through Calvary first, where his hands and his feet are pierced, where the beard is plucked out of his face, where his blood runs down. And as the song says, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. Our God saves sinners himself. So the third truth, how awesome. Our God loves the lost. Our God saves the sinner in the work of Jesus Christ. The third truth today, our God rejoices over the repentant. Our God rejoices over the repentant. Listen to verses six and seven. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, this is the truth. I tell you, this is how it is, the reality of it. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Notice it says, more joy in heaven. How could heaven be any more joyful? I thought about that this week, all week long. Can you imagine that? Here, here's heaven. I want you to picture this. How, how could heaven be any more joyful? Jesus, our Savior, is there. He's finished his work. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's there. All the saints 
Those faithful saints, those proven saints, they're there. Our loved ones who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're there understanding they were purchased back from the debt of their sin. Can you imagine how joyful they are knowing I was a sinner and I was condemned to my guilt, but over there sits my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm here of no work of my own. Can you imagine the joy that's there? All the angels. Can you imagine the host of angels? And they were singing what we're singing. Holy, holy, holy. And they're there in the presence of the living God and his glory reigns out. Can you imagine how joyous it is? And there's no sin there. And there's no sickness there. And there's no cancer there. And there's no saying goodbye there. How could it ever be more joyful in heaven? See this. Heaven is perfect. But did you know it was perfect before creation ever occurred? Do you understand today God needed nothing? There's nothing we could do, nothing needed to be done to add to his glory. He needed nothing. There was nothing needed in heaven. But see his love here. See his heart here. The God who needs nothing the God who is self-existent, who needs nothing from us, rejoices when a sinner turns and repents and comes from death over to life because of no merit of his own, he comes home and the Bible says that God rejoices and there is exuberant celebration in heaven. That's how heaven's more joyful. That's our God. That's his heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we're thankful for you. We praise you today. We come and as we see this picture, we understand maybe greater than we ever have the grace of God who needed not one thing. And yet he turns and in his love for the lost, for the individual sinner, he goes and he seeks us out. And through Jesus Christ, he provides the way of our redemption at a great cost himself. God himself saves us. He saves the sinner. And not only that, but his heart and all of heaven rejoice. Thankful for a loving, kind, gracious, merciful Father. Come today and I pray that that this, this would help shape us. This would help change our view of you and who you are and, and our commitment to you. I pray for some here today that as maybe they come and think, well, I'm, I'm the outcast. I'm the one too far gone. I'm the one that's been so pious and self-righteous. But they would come and say, you know what? I have a Savior and he died for me. And I might be forgiven. He loved me as a lost person. He came and saved me himself. And that today they'd put their faith in Jesus Christ. Praise you and I worship you and I thank you. I lay this at your feet. I pray now in our time of invitation that you would freely work. I pray that decisions will be made at this hour, this time. I pray that eternities will be changed. I pray that you'd remove any hindrance, that you'd remove any pride. And I pray that today, a lost sinner by faith in Christ would come home. We tell you again, we thank you, we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.